What's going on? Welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. It's also our last one of 2020. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside Jim Mike and Opera at Pelicans.com. The Pelicans are in Oklahoma City tonight to take on the Thunder. So we're happy to have Royce Young, NBA writer for ESPN.com based in Oklahoma City. He joins us today. Royce, I appreciate it. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to y'all. Thanks for having me on. Of course, uh, before we get into the game tonight, uh, of course, it's a, it's a homecoming for Steven Adams after spending six years with the Thunder. Obviously, you had a chance to cover him while he was in Oklahoma City. Just talk about, I know in the in the first few weeks we've been able to interact with him. He's just a, a great soundbite. He's a great person to talk to, even if it's over Zoom. Uh, what was it like for you to have him for, for six years there in Oklahoma City? Steven was an absolute treat, and he would be horrified if I said that. But... Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> I, 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 there's few players that uh, I've enjoyed being around as much as Steven Adams. And <clears throat> like you said, Daniel, like he, he's a great quote. And he, one of the things that I think gets lost a lot with Steven is that he's, he's kind of funny and he's good at mixing in um, humor into his answers. And he, he's, he's known for like some of those like great little sound bites and stuff, but he's a really thoughtful basketball player when it comes to, true basketball questions. And he's really considerate of trying to answer it. And a lot of times he'll ask you, what did you mean there? Um, can you explain that a little bit better? Cause he, he truly wants to answer questions. He he's, he's like so many NBA players, Daniel, where it's like, he, he tries to kind of act like, Oh, the media is such a nuisance and I don't want to do that. And then he gets over there and he's terrific and engaging and thoughtful. And it's like, that's why we ask for you all the time, man. <laughs> like that's why we want to talk to you. Um, but I, you know, I did, I did his, a, a lot of one-on-ones with Steven. He was always extremely gracious with his time and um, just a genuinely good guy. I mean, he, he you can see why so many teams are uh, so many people around the league respect him um, as, as a locker room leader, as a culture setter. And, you know, people don't realize that, you know, he's still a young guy. He's not, he's not like they have this perception that he's like this 36 year old veteran in the league. He's still a young player. Um, but he just carries him. Well, he's like this guy, he's got this like uh, interesting juxtaposition because he's like, uh, he can be extremely immature making uh, jokes about things during interviews, but also exceedingly mature when it comes to leadership and culture and those sorts of things. So um, I, I honestly, I, I couldn't, I don't have enough time to say nice things about Steven Adams because he's one of my very, very favorite players I've ever been around. That seems to be uh, what we've heard from around the league once everyone uh, knew that, that he was coming to the Pelicans. Um, what did he mean to that organization? Because, you know, he's he went through a lot, you know, just that that team went through a lot while during his time there, you know, with some good teams, uh, some teams that were not as good. But for the most part, I mean, they had a lot of success when he was there in Oklahoma City. What, what does he just mean to that organization? Even though it was those six years, it seems like he's been a part of that team forever. I mean, what does he mean to the Thunder when you look back at his time there? Yeah, I mean, you pointed out, you know, six years is not, you know, I guess in today's NBA, it does feel like a long time, mm -hmm. but it's not like a Nick Collison where it's like he was this guy that was just um, like a staple of the organization for his entire career. But I, I think, again, that speaks to kind of the impact of a guy like Steven Adams and what his his leadership and um, what his mentality kind of does for a team is that it felt like so much longer than six years. He feels like a lifelong Thunder player because that is kind of the influence that he had over the entire organization. I think the thing that, that was so impactful that Steven did is he's, he is the most selfless player I've ever been around. And I think a lot of that has to do with his upbringing. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with him uh, about that's just kind of the, the Kiwi mentality. Um, you know, 
obviously rugby is like their sport over there. And rugby is like one of the most selfless sports you can play. There's, there's just kind of no room for, for being like, um, you know, the guy on a team, you, you, you have to work together all the time in rugby. And it is truly just about an objective and how you can help your teammates accomplish that objective. And Steven Adams always applied that mentality, whether that was screen setting, whether that was getting out of the way. So Russell Westbrook could get rebounds for, for triple doubles, whether um, that was, you know, um, just, you know, doing just a little dirty work things on the floor that you don't necessarily see. You know, I think Steven Adams just really embodies like what so many teams want out of what we call role players. And, you know, I think that that, that sort of influence had a big impact on the thunder and, you know, there was kind of like this uh, passing of the torch type of thing, Daniel, where it was, you know, you had Nick Collison and he sort of kind of passed it to Steven Adams to kind of take ownership of kind of one of the, the forebears of the Thunder culture, so to speak. And he really took it and embraced it. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, as people kind of look back on him, he's he's kind of the last guy, you know, the, the Thunder now have transitioned away from like, like you mentioned, he played with a lot of great players and was a part of a lot of great teams. And he was kind of the last standing guy of that, like that connection to the past. Um, and so it is kind of interesting to think about like where they're going to kind of carry on that culture that Steven Adams was, was so impactful in carrying on himself. I'm not sure how many of the four games you've watched of the Pelicans so far, but how do you see Steven Adams fitting in with this Pelicans roster off the court, you know, with some of the young talent that they have and Jackson Hayes, one of the big guys here. And then also just on the court, you know, a lot of people thought they might be a little concerned with how he would, play with Zion as far as spacing is concerned, but I feel like it's, you know, a big threat to have those two big men down low, especially on, on the rebounding side. Uh, before I send it over to Jim, how, how do you see Steven fitting in uh, with the Pelicans? Well, first of all, how can you not watch the Pelicans, man? They're, they're one of the most fun teams to watch in the NBA. Um, you know, I, I think that you, you bring up a good point, and I think a lot of people do kind of have this uh, perception that you you must have – like kind of contrasting big men in in the NBA today, right? Like you got to have, you can't have a, a, a four that can't shoot and a five that can't shoot. You, you got to have one of the two got to be able to space it out. And I think that that's a little bit of a misnomer because for one, you know, while Zion is not necessarily quote unquote a shooter um, and, you know, that's an area of his game. I think that he's growing in. Um, he's so unique in the way that he plays that position that, you know, I think that like we consider spacing just to be shooting. But like Zion is somebody that you can't just necessarily sack off of because he's going to beat you off the dribble. He's going to get into the paint and you can move the ball around offensively. Um, you know, Steven uh, is such a strong roller that, you know, those two guys together, you know, I, I don't know that I've noticed it all that much, but I'm sure it is something um, that the Pelicans are, are probably working to put in. But, you know, you can play, you can run four or five pick and roll, which would be really unique. Um, but I think that I think that those two guys can do that sort of thing together. But, you know, and one of the things that's like a tried and true thing in basketball, while we all are kind of intoxicated with shooting and spacing, all those sorts of things, but like size matters. And like that doesn't necessarily mean height, but that means just like the physicality of basketball. And, you know, I think the Pelicans are the type of team that when teams walk in, it, it reminds me a little bit of, of Thunder teams of old is the Thunder were very well known for being extremely physical and kind of beat you with brute force. Serge Ibaka, Kendrick Perkins, Serge Ibaka, Steven Adams. You got roughed up when you went and played those teams. Pelicans have that same sort of identity. And I, I really do think that those two guys together um, just present such a formidable kind of intimidating front court that 
Yeah, you know the, the 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 shooting thing. I think maybe maybe teams start to scheme for that and try to figure that out over time. I just don't know that it matters that much um, with the with all the other kind of pieces that they have around. Royce, you mentioned the Pelicans being you know a very interesting, intriguing team to watch. They're a team that's going to be on national TV a ton in this first half of the schedule. Um, wanted to talk about the Thunder right now. Obviously, they're a team that's not going to be on national TV a lot. And I think people are pretty unfamiliar with the the squad that they have so right now. Um, I watched their game against Charlotte on Saturday. I haven't seen – I didn't get to see the other two games. But um, it's it, to me, it's been pretty impressive and I think surprising to some people in terms of how competitive they've been. They could have been two – they were basically a basket away from being – starting the season 2-0. and oh, They lost by a point against Utah. And then they played uh, Orlando pretty tough the other night as well. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why do you think that they've been able to be, you know, competitive to the extent that they, they have so far? And what's your um, feeling as far as how much they can sustain this is in terms of, you know, either winning games or, you know, being right there with a chance to beat some pretty good teams so far? Yeah, it's a good question, Jim. And I think a lot of people have kind of looked at them and said, wait a, wait a second, I thought they were tanking, you know, like um, because they traded away, you know, so many core pieces of their team. Um, I think the, the fact of the matter is, is that their starting five is very capable. And, you know, you look at a guy like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who has kind of been elevated into uh, the go-to role, and it's something he's really embraced. And um, he's a really good scorer. And I don't know that he got um, quite enough credit for the success of the Thunder last season. He is a young player. This is his third season. You know, Chris Paul, deservedly so, uh, got a lot of the um, adulation for, for how well the Thunder played. But, you know, SGA was their leading scorer. And so I, I think that you, know, you start with him, Al Horford, who did not have a good year in Philadelphia last year, but he was out of position, didn't really fit well with Joel Embiid. There's kind of a feeling that much in the same way that Chris Paul had a little bit of a, you know, a renaissance in Oklahoma city, Al Horford might be able to do somewhat of, this, of a similar thing, kind of getting back to the basics and playing a game he's more accustomed to playing. Um, you know, then you have George Hill, who's just a solid quality veteran. You have Lou Dort, who, uh, kind of seemed to burst onto the scene in the playoffs last year, but had been a very solid starter for basically half a season for the Thunder as a, as a three and D wing. Um, and then Darius Baisley, another young player, but uh, showed some promising signs. So you've kind of put that starting five together and that's a capable quality group. The Thunder's big question was all the young players they have on their bench. And that day has kind of been their struggle, but I, you know, I think that they're just a, they play hard, um, they have some talent on the roster. I, I think that this is going to be kind of the formula for the Thunder throughout the year. I think they're going to be one of those kind of frisky young teams that on any given night, if you don't show up and maybe they shoot the ball a little better than they normally would, they're going to beat some teams. I think they're the type of team that's going to, you know, they're going to shock a team like the Milwaukee Bucks and sneak up and beat them. But they're also going to be the type of team that's going to struggle at different points. They're going to be competitive throughout most of the year but I don't know that they just have like that cutting edge to win a lot of games. So, you know, like I, I would put the thunder somewhere in the mid twenties range in terms of wins, maybe even lower than that, but I don't think that they're going to be the type of team you're seeing just get overwhelmed night in and night out. You mentioned a couple of the uh, younger guys that I think Lou Dort is off to a very good start. Um, Isaiah Roby had a game where I think it was the first game he played the, of the season and he did extremely well mm-hmm. against Orlando. Um, how are how are some of the other guys maybe that are rookies right now? How are they progressing? How are they looking so far in the first week of the season? 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, Lou Dort. Um, man, he has looked fantastic. And just the confidence is swelling with him. He's he's shooting above his head right now. And I think he's shooting close to 50% from three. That's obviously not going to sustain throughout the year. But I think Dort is just such an interesting player um, because he's grown as a shooter. And he's got a lot of confidence putting the ball on the floor, taking it to the basket. You know, Donovan Mitchell shouted him out for his defense. I think Lou Dort legitimately might make an all-defensive team this year. That's just how how good he's been um, and how good I think he is. Uh, you know, Darius Baisley's had some moments. He's a second-year player. He's had some moments, and he's shown some more confidence. Um, their first-round draft pick, Alexei Pokashevsky, I think he's one of 16 shooting so far in his NBA career. He made his first bucket the other night. It was like a tip-in. One thing about Poku is he is not shy on confidence. He's letting it fly. He's a very unique player. You know, he was the youngest player in the draft. Uh, he just turned 19 like two or three days ago, I think. Um, he's uh, like seven feet tall, extremely thin, um, very, very unique player, but extremely raw. And again, this kind of speaks to, I think, how the Thunder are kind of approaching this, Jim, is they're, you know, embracing some of these young players and trying to let them play it out. And so, it's been a little bit of a struggle offensively for Poku so far, but, uh, you know, I think that he's, um, you know, they're, they're going to just kind of let him work through some of those growing pins. And then they have another rookie, Teo Maladon, who's from France. He was a second round pick, just a solid, capable backup point guard right now. And he's actually been uh, pretty solid in that role so far this year. So the Thunder are playing a lot of young guys. They want their young guys to play because uh, that's kind of what, what their approach is, is right now is they're very developmentally focused. You mentioned that the organization is embracing the idea of developing some of the younger players. And obviously they've also gone with the strategy of, you know, loading up on future first round picks and that kind of thing. I want, I was kind of curious. I know it's, it's probably more difficult than any other year to kind of get a read on how fans feel about um, the team's direction, just based on the fact that we're not seeing anyone in person, but I was wondering, do you, what's the vibe that you get from, the fans in general in terms of the direction that they're going in. They've been so successful almost from day one. I think they had one year mm -hmm. when they first got to Oklahoma City where they struggled, but they've been so good since then. Um, do you feel like the fans are just kind of on board with this idea? Uh, what do you, as far as, you know, the plan that they have in place, what's your um, impression of, of just how people feel about what they're doing right yeah, now? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, you mentioned it. They did, they've only had one bad year in Oklahoma City. That was the first season. They started three and twenty-nine, kind of famously. Um, but you know that was a that was a group that came in that was young. Everybody understood that that was developing, and plus, people in OKC just didn't care. It was like, you know, woohoo, professional basketball. I, I'm not going to the arena to watch these young players anywhere. I'm, I'm I'm going to see Kobe Bryant. I'm going to see Dwight Howard. I'm going to see Chris Paul. I want to see who they're playing against. Um, so you know, it was more of just like. Uh, the infatuation period really kind of carried the day. And then the next season they won 50 games and they're in the playoffs. And it was like, you know, off to the races there for the Thunder. And uh, then it was, you know, a decade plus of success of 50 win type teams going to the finals, being in the playoffs every year, MVP candidates, future Hall of Famers. So this is a very, very different, different experience for Thunder fans. But I think for the most part, um, the majority of the fan base understands what, uh, what the the uh, the future has to kind of look like for them. 
Um, you know, I think New Orleans uh, fans can probably sympathize to somewhat of a degree that, you know, it's, it's, this is kind of the, the building blocks of building a good team when you're in one of these types of markets. And, um, you know, again, the Pelicans look, you know, lottery uh, uh, ping pong balls can change the trajectory of your franchise so quickly. And, you know, the Thunder, you know, there's not necessarily a Zion Williamson just sitting there waiting again. He's, he's a transformational player. Um, but you get, but all you can do is hope that that's that, that you can get one of those guys. And so, you know, I think Thunder fans understand that if they want to see the next great Thunder team that sustains over a decade again, that they're going to kind of have to go through this because fans in Oklahoma City were so spoiled that you know Seattle honestly went through a lot of the pain and suffering the, before the team relocated Oklahoma City, where they got you know they drafted Kevin Durant, they actually drafted uh, Russell Westbrook when he, they were still in Seattle. So like that was how they got those great players. And then they just kind of like, you know, put a bow on them and like gift wrapped them for OKC to watch this great team develop. So, you know, I think that that fans are kind of recognizing that they're that you got to kind of go through these ebbs and flows. This is the rhythms of, of an NBA franchise. Um, there are some fans that I think like, you know, this is a this is a college football state and people uh, root for the Oklahoma Sooners. And that's been a, uh, you know, a program that is great year in and year out. And I think that a lot of people expect success and expect winning every single year. And so I think there's a portion of the fan base that doesn't quite get it. Um, but for the most part, I think people are on board. Bruce, before I let you go, just from a broad perspective of the league, we've been seeing it, including last night, again, a lot of blowouts in the first week of the season. Uh, yesterday it was Charlotte over Dallas. And you can even say the Clippers uh, against the Blazers that I watched late last night, but can you attribute these blowouts to, to anything in particular? Is it just a product of not a lot of training camp, not a lot of practice time, teams just trying to get their legs underneath them, or, or is there anything else to it? What have you been seeing in the in the last week or so from a lot of these games? Yeah, I don't know if I could put my finger on it necessarily. I do think, you know, limited training camp might have something to do with it. Just, a, you know, teams are trying to kind of figure themselves out and – um, you know, you can be behind the eight ball in, in a certain area, but, you know, Damian Lillard said something the other day and, and I, I found it pretty interesting of, you know, when you take away fans from a building and you have a team, whether it's on the road or even at home and you get down 10, 12 points, um, you know, we all know, you know, you guys watch the NBA for a long time too. You know, everybody talks about it. it's a game of runs and a lot of times you get down 16 in the NBA and it's like, um, you know, there, there, there's a 12, two run coming at some point and it's going to be a game again. That doesn't feel like that's as likely right now. And I, I do think that that has something to do with fans. And I think we, we might have underestimated how impactful fans can be in an arena because like Lillard said that, you know, players are right now are kind of being relied upon to create their own energy. I've seen it with, you know, I've been going to the games in OKC, uh, empty building, and, you know, you can see some of the uh, opposing benches really trying to kind of motivate the guys on the floor because like, that's where you got to get your energy from. So I think we're seeing some teams get down 12, 14 and they just kind of go listless, you know, like there's no motivation. And that, that can mean, you know, in the NBA, we see sometimes you can use home fans as your motivation. A lot of times you see as a road team, you see, you know, you use the, the, the opposing team's fans as your motivation, you know, you kind of put the chip on your shoulder. So I think that there's just kind of maybe a little bit of a lack of energy when the games get spaced out on the scoreboard players just aren't finding that kind of like second gear to go on that 14 0 run that gets you back in the game. And, and I don't know if that's true. I mean, there's, there's no way to like, you know, tangibly prove that it's a total anecdotal thing, but I, I think that there may be something to it. 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I really didn't think about it like that. You know, when you, you expect you get on the run, you get the crowd going, and then you come out of that timeout with some energy, and you really don't have that, and you're kind of just seeing teams just kind of go through the motions the rest of the game. Once they're down, they feel like they're just never able yeah. to come back from it. So it's definitely something worth considering. I'm sure uh, we'll see some more down the stretch or see what happens with these teams as they start to get some more games under them as well. Well, that's Royce Young, who uh, covers the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Royce Young. does a great job. Uh, with a lot of these articles and, of course, covering the Thunder for all these years. Royce, I really appreciate the time getting to hear some stories about Stephen Adams, getting to learn a little bit more about the Thunder. Um, enjoy the game tonight and Happy New Year. All right. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Jim, uh, let's go back to the what he talked about here at the end of his podcast uh, or end of our podcast with uh, fans and, and blowouts and things like that. That was a really interesting perspective from him and Damian Lillard about maybe why the teams are not getting back into games because the spark of the fans is – is really not there. Why do you think, I mean, entering the the Pelicans game against the Suns or after that, there was four 35 plus blowouts in the first week yeah. of the season, which hasn't happened before in the NBA. Is, is there something you could, you think that might be a, a part of that? I think that there definitely could be something to the no fans thing, especially considering this is the first time that we've ever seen this before in terms of there's so many empty arenas and some of these absurd lopsided scores, but one of the other theories that I have, and I'm, I don't think I'm the first person who said this by any means, um, this can't explain it fully in terms of why we're seeing like 50 point halftime margins and that kind of thing. But I do think that as the three point shot becomes more prevalent in, across the NBA, you're going to start to see more fluctuations from game to game. I mean, the Pelicans are a great example in their first four games of the season. They had a 19 for 42 game against Toronto. And then they had a five for 24 game against Phoenix. And you're talking about, I haven't looked this up in detailed specifics, but in general, you're talking about the same group of guys taking the same amount of threes, relatively speaking, and you have completely different results. So I think that if you went back, you know, 20 years where teams were only taking in some cases, maybe 10, 15, three pointers, however many you make in that small sample doesn't really change the results of your game or your offense that much, but the way it is now where, I mean, you have teams who take more than half of their shots are from three point range in certain games. I mean, Houston's had seasons where more than half of their shots have been three pointers. I do think that that is going to affect um, certain games where it's like one team is ice cold. The other team's making everything. And almost no matter what you do in the all, the other 15 major categories of the game, defense, rebounding, et cetera, et cetera. Just that one factor alone is going to have a huge swing on what happens on the scoreboard. So that's, that's my theory. It's definitely not a full explanation, but I do think that as, as time goes on and we see teams take more threes, it's impossible to control from game to game, how many of them you make. And because of that, I think the results of games are going to, to, to vary a lot. And we'll see like long-term how, how much of an effect that has on the competitiveness of the league. It might make it so that, you know, there's more parity because as teams shoot more threes, some of the teams that have less talent are going to have nights where they get hot and they can knock off anyone. I know people have talked about this with the NCAA tournament that if you want to pick a sleeper team that could go a long ways in March Madness, sometimes you pick a team that takes a lot of threes because they have a lot better chance to knock off somebody um, like a one seed or a two seed, if, if that's part of their game, as opposed to somebody, a, a Cinderella team that you kind of get the same thing from them every single night and they don't have a huge 
upside or huge ability to just just um, go off some night and be able to beat anybody. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, the Pelicans are eight for 48 in their last two games from three, and surprisingly, they're one and one. <laughs> so they had one yeah. really bad loss, and they, they squeaked by a win at home against the San Antonio Spurs. So you hope that not have to rely on, you know, your defense as much as they have been in the first four games. But, you know, it, it kind of happened, and Brandon Ingram said it in the game the other night is, you know, everyone talked about why the offense struggled against Phoenix. He said it was the other way around. The reason why they struggled so much on offense because they couldn't get anything going defensively. And right now, as they're trying to figure out their half-court offense, their offense is relying on them taking the ball out of the rim instead of out of the net. And so if they can get some stops tonight, I think they'll get into a rhythm where maybe some of those threes get back and they can make those. And instead of worrying about having to run a half-court offense where they're still trying to learn it. So I definitely think there's a lot of different factors um, into the blowouts, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's the three point shooting is definitely something that you can take from it and, and make a good point for. So hopefully uh, the Pelicans will not have one of those anytime soon. And hopefully tonight will be a good game as we ring in the new year. And Jim, you know, we've, it's been a long season as we try to recap the year here from January 1st of 2019 or 2020 to now uh, the end of the year here. Uh, we've been through a lot. I don't think we would have thought, you know, come January 1 of last year that we'd be doing Zoom podcasts for most of the year um, since March. But um, we certainly, um, I appreciate everything you've done to help us. You do some great work and uh, let's start fresh. Let's let's get a win tonight and then kick off 2021 on a good note. I appreciate all the things you do for this podcast, my friend. Sure, I'm totally with you. And I'm, I'm completely on board with the idea, especially today of t- just totally looking forward and putting everything that happened in the past year behind us as much as we can. I know it's been a, a terrible year for a lot of people and unfortunately pretty tragic for a lot of families and that kind of thing. But, um, but I'm just looking forward to 2021. And I mean, from a way less important standpoint, mm-hmm. it's been great to have basketball back and in, in to uh, we had quite a long stretch with no basketball, whether it was the four months before the restart and then the four ish months after the restart. So it's been, it's been fun to, to have the games back and, be able to do what we do it was quite a way too long of a stretch with not that much basketball earlier this year yeah for sure it is nice to have basketball back and we'll have more podcasts for you of course in the next calendar year probably our next podcast will be on monday as the pelicans are in game two their four game homestand against the indiana pacers tonight though pelicans and thunder from okc 7 p.m central time on the radio side we'll have pelicans weekly for you at six o'clock you might want to tune into that one as Todd Graffinini chats with Pelicans general manager Trajan Langdon. Then pregame shows for the radio and the television side begin at 6.30. Fox Sports New Orleans is where you can watch it with Joel, A.D., and Jen Hale. Todd Graffinini, John DeShazer, and Caroline Gonzalez are where you can find them on the radio tonight. And again, Pelicans will then play on Saturday against the Toronto Raptors at 6.30. Big thanks again to Royce Young. And for Jim Eikhoff, I'm Daniel Sowers, and hope everyone has a great New Year's tonight. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by CP.